Welcome to Ars Equi, the podcast on all things law and technology. I'm Tima. I'm Paul. And on this episode, access to legal information. Welcome to a new episode of Ars Equi. This is part of the digital justice series where we talk about how technology can improve your access to justice and increase uh, your access to laws. And this is what we want to talk about today specifically, which is how do people, how do lawyers, but also laypersons access legal information? Yeah. And I think this, perhaps as somebody who's in the legal fraternity and who studied law and who practices law, it's difficult for us to understand what it must be like for a non, for a lay person, mm-hmm. as we call them, people who are not in the legal world, how difficult it is for a lay person to get access to legal information, read it, understand it, mm-hmm. digest it, and then be able to understand what it means and how it applies to them in their everyday life. Yeah, in the call preparing this, we had a discussion about like, how do people actually do this? Yeah, I was like, if you're not a lawyer, like how do you even, how do you even begin to read a law? How do you even begin to understand what you're supposed to do if you're not consuming the law from the news or from social media? If you're actually going to the source, how are you even able to find sources, use the sources? It must be really challenging. Yeah, and it's important to have access to this legal information because everybody of us is expected to know the law because it will be held against you even if you don't know it. Exactly. And there's this um, legal principle that basically says ignorance of the law is not an excuse or a defense. So if you are arrested and convicted of a law, you can't stand in front of a court and say, oh my gosh, you are not, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. That's not an excuse. That's not a defense. The law will still be applied against you whether you know about the law or not. So that's why it's important to know and have access. Yeah. So you have at least an indirect responsibility to keep updated and to keep looking at this. But at the same time, it's really hard for you to do uh, if you haven't studied law and sometimes even if you had. Exactly. And I mean, this whole idea of having access to the law goes back to the right of access to information. Mm. And this right is basically premised on the basic knowledge that, or the basic notion that knowledge is power, right? Mm. And individuals can only make decisions or make sound decisions when they have information or all the facts before them and that allows them to make the decision. Yeah, and you can also only follow a law if you know of it and if you know what is asked of you. And so it's even like in the interest of the government to spread knowledge of the law because otherwise people just won't follow it. Exactly. And the right of access to information also places a positive obligation on the government or state bodies to make laws or make legal information publicly available so that people are able to access it and people are able to know what laws apply to them and how they can follow the law. So it's really an important thing and it's kind of like an around away right because you have this right to access information or have access to the law or knowledge of the law, but you also have the responsibility on yourself to go out and seek it and find it and understand the law. Because if you stand in front of a court, you can't say, oh, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I didn't know. Yeah. And I I found it really interesting how this is like laid down in different constitutions, because uh, that's the principle in Austrian constitutional law that there can be no secret laws or they are unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, they don't even exist if they haven't been published. Right. Uh, so like this is a really strong consequence of, of laws because normally when laws are unconstitutional, like based on the content, they just do still exist and are still applied, but they can be um, declared invalid by the constitutional court. Mm. Whereas if they haven't even been published, they don't exist yet. And, like mm. you don't have to follow them. Yeah. 
So like this is a really like high consequence for for this kind of thing. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, the whole right of access to information and access to the law in the South African context, I think is quite unique. Mm -hmm. um, we were chatting about this earlier, how some constitutions don't even have this right, but they have an around away right, like saying if a law is not published, then it's mm -hmm. not, um, it can't be applicable. Whereas in South Africa, our constitution has the explicit right of access to information. And this right is super broad because you can exercise this right in so many different contexts. And you can exercise it against public bodies and you can exercise it against anybody else. Hmm. So the constitution basically says you have the right of access to information, information that's held by public bodies and information that is held by any other person if you need that information in order to exercise or protect your rights. So it's super broad in South Africa. And that has a lot to do with, of course, the history that we hmm. have in South Africa. So... I know everybody knows about apartheid and what apartheid meant in South Africa. It was when the country was under white minority, racist, segregationist rule. And essentially during this time, laws were so arbitrary and laws were passed so randomly mm. to suppress people that oftentimes people didn't even know when a law was passed. They had no idea. So it would be difficult for people to exercise the law because one, laws changed so quickly. Two, there was a lot of secrecy in the government. Mm. So the government put a lot of resources into maintaining secrecy. And this ended up being that a lot of people lost their freedoms and liberties because they didn't just did not have access to information or information was hidden from them to make sure that they would violate the law in, in a sense. Yeah. And I mean, this is like the core of, of this rule that no secret laws can exist, mm. like to protect uh, individuals against having this held against them, even if they had no way of knowing it. Exactly. So I think it's interesting when you look at like the South African context and mm. think how, because it seems like an arbitrary right. Mm -hmm. I remember in constitutional law, we they hammered this right into us. We did case law. We spoke about it for weeks. And it's kind of like, at first I was like, why are we hammering so hard on this right of access mm -hmm. to information? Okay, cool. Yes, I have the right. I can ask them to, mm. you know, give me information. But when you look at it from a historical perspective, you see how like little freedoms people had in different contexts and how important access to the law really is and how difficult it can be to really have access to information if you don't live in an open and free democracy. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's really interesting how uh, this law, uh, this right to uh, access to information is connected to the law because like in Austria, it's kept separate. So there's this one rule about publication of laws and uh, it, there's no real general rule on the freedom of information, the right to access of freedom information. Mm. Uh, the freedom of information. Uh, and this is actually one of, of the biggest discussions right now is how should this be implemented into the Austrian constitution? Because oh. right now the standard is uh, official secrecy. So the state uh, has to keep certain information secret unless right. there's a special reason for it. And right. they want to reverse this so that they have to publish information, have to give information to people uh, unless a certain, certain requirements are met. To keep it secret. To keep it secret, yeah. essentially, like like public safety yeah. or, or personal data of, of individuals. Yeah, I think that's that's the context in which South Africa exists. So mm. the positive obligation is government has to release information unless there's a specific reason for them to withhold it. I think that's the way it should be. Because right. the other way around is allowing them too much freedom to make decisions about what constitutes secrecy or what needs to be secret and what doesn't. Yeah, and I mean, still, like... 
even in developing this and it's laying down the rules now and setting the rules and deciding what should be held secret and what should be public, this is a huge discussion because obviously those in powers have at least in in some cases an interest in keeping stuff secret. Mm. So there's this huge court case going on right now about um, government subsidies during a corona to, to businesses mm. and like what businesses profited from these subsidies. Mm. And this is taxpayer money, right? Yeah. And so it should be public. Right. But uh, the government is keeping it secret because saying like this is business secrets, this is personal data, um, we shouldn't be able to publish this. And so Very like there's this, um, this kind of conflict. Yeah. And especially when you're like setting the rules now, uh, and those in power keep in mind that they want to keep maybe stuff secret, then it's like really hard to like really determine what, what should be the law. Yeah, no. And I mean, I was reading an article in preparing for this podcast that spoke about um, individuals being watchdogs. Mm-hmm. So us as citizens, we kind of are, are, one of our jobs in a democracy is to be the watchdogs of the government. So if we don't like what the government is doing every four years or whatever it is, whatever it looks like in your country, you have the right to vote them out. Mm-hmm. But if everything is kept a secret, your your ability to be a watchdog goes away from you because you're not able to know what the government is doing, whether they're doing what you what they promised or what you want them to do. So then it removes your ability to really exercise in a democracy because you can't make smart democratic decisions mm-hmm. about who to vote for and why if information is not openly accessible and public. Right, right. Uh, so another part of this is is the way how the information is being published, right? right. Because um, there is, uh, for example, for laws in Austria, there's this database uh, in, on the internet which publishes the federal law gazette, which everybody can access for free, and there's essentially PDF files with all the new laws, yeah. which at least on a, on a technical level makes it easy for everyone to to access this. Yeah, I mean, South Africa has something different. I mean, something similar. Um, we have the Government Gazette, and this is also something that you can find online where on the government website, all the laws and notices, blah, 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 um, presidential declarations are all published. And then we also, apparently the Government Gazette is also printed and circulated. I have not seen one that I haven't printed myself from the internet. Yeah. So um, perhaps this happens, but technically that's how people are supposed to access information. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have private databases that mm-hmm. also you know, have the laws and stuff and you can get information there. But what's problematic is if you're not a lawyer, are you ever really going to go on the Government Gazette right. to find laws? Or are you ever going to use LexisNexis mm. to find laws? I don't really foresee anyone who's not interested in the law doing that. Right, right. There's even some cases in Austria where this is even more absurd, I would say. Uh, so for local regulations, there's only the rule that they have to be published somehow, but mm. not like no clear rules. And the standard now is that there's an information board uh, in every town and there it has to be posted for like two weeks and then it has taken down and nobody like gets access to it unless you specifically ask for it. And like, who you, does that? And also, can you imagine a hundred pages of a law being posted right, then in they have font the rule. 11 <laughs> on a board? Then there's a special rule for this. They just have to post, post the notice that this exists and then you actually oh. have to go in during business hours and ask them, hey, can I see this? Uh, and then they have to give it to you. Doesn't seem logical to yeah. me. And I don't see many people consuming the law in that way. I don't Only see anybody doing that. Yes, exactly. So it's kind of feels like government does a tick box thing. Mm. So 
Um, the constitution requires that they make laws public, that they make sure that everyone has access to this. So they're like, okay, great. We're going to put a 180-page document in font 11 mm. with all of this legal jargon that no one understands. And we're going to publish that and put it on a notice board for two weeks. There you go. We've done our job. Mm. And there's no kind of um, focus on whether the people are actually understanding, consuming the law, and then being able to apply it. Yeah, and I think that understanding point point is important because, like, even when you read the law, and even as a lawyer, it's sometimes hard to like actually know what's going on. And if these are laws that are very general, maybe like very abstract, uh, maybe sometimes centuries old, yeah. like this becomes a challenge. Yeah. And I mean, today we were talking about, um, I watched this, I listened to this Malcolm Gladwell podcast. I'll put the link in the description. But essentially he was talking to a law professor and this law professor had written hundreds of pages about a specific section in the American constitution and the punctuation. Mm -hmm. And his argument was that based on the punctuation, the courts have been interpreting interpreting this section incorrectly the whole time. And that's kind of the nature of law, right? Because it's written down by mm. people. So interpretation can change. So if you're one person reading the law, you might interpret it a completely different way from another person. And then you actually have to go deeper to find out what the law really means. What has the court said about it, this and that. And I don't see a lot of lay people doing that extra research that we do as legal people. Right. Uh, speaking of punctuation, I also found another case from the US, which I found really interesting and really fun. Um, so this was about uh, overtime payment for workers, mm. and they aren't entitled for over uh, pay uh, for overtime payment if uh, they work in uh, the processing, packing for shipment, or distribution of agricultural products. And the question was whether it's packment, packing for shipment or distribution, or packment for shipping or, or. distribution. <laughs> And there's no Oxford comma there, and and so this was a huge court case, like uh, whether whether distribution was to be read on its own. Yeah, like you see something as small as a comma, or in the Malcolm Gladwell podcast, it was about a semicolon. Mm -hmm. Something as small as that can change the entire meaning or interpretation of a specific section of the law, and that is not information that a lot of people have access to. So we were thinking, you know, how can technology improve this or how has technology been improving this thus far? Of course, we have these online databases, but then again, like we've said, those are still 150 pages of fonts, 11 words that no one's going to read. Mm. So how do everyday people get access to the law in a tangible way that they can understand and also um, in a way that they can apply it in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've been working on a couple of projects on this. Yeah, so uh, Paul is a super genius and <laughs> he, has, he has a solution to this problem. Yeah, so uh, first I want to talk about uh, really quickly about the Twitter bot that I made, yeah. uh, which essentially tweets the federal log set. So it's a database uh, that, you know, you'd actually have to check every time uh, if you want to see like what is updated. And what this Twitter bot does, it tweets every time it is updated. So it makes it easier for you like to see the new Twitter feed and then like, oh, okay, the Corona rules have been updated. Let's go check them out. Yeah. Okay. So, so you developed, mm -hmm. I just want everyone to understand how much of a genius you are. <laughs> you developed a Twitter bot mm -hmm. that tweets every time a new law is implemented. Exactly. And it kind of tweets it and summarizes it for people or it just tweets, it, there's it, a new law it, on it this? It tweets the link. Okay. So so that's like the basics of it. Uh, and I found this really interesting 
that a lot of non-lawyers follow this. So yes, it's, I would it's totally like follow 3, it. Three thousand people or so, yeah. which, considering you know Twitter users in Austria, isn't actually too few. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm actually surprised by this, and and there's a lot of non-lawyers. So what I from what I gather, so uh, this really brings like the official text mm-hmm. of the law closer to people. And I think what's really interesting is that it then then you can argue that people have access to it, right? Because mm. if you're on Twitter and you can constantly see tweets about when a new law is implemented, and then you might see something that could affect you, like, oh, new traffic violation law or something, mm-hmm. then you're able to click that and then you're able to know. But if it's never brought in or like never given to you in a way that you can easily see or easily understand, then it's really difficult, especially in Corona time when laws were changing every two seconds. Right. This was actually the reason for me doing this or where the idea came from, because I found myself checking the website constantly mm. to like see if everything, anything's changed. Uh, and this way I could get notified and I thought maybe other people would be interested in this as well. Very cool. Okay. Now your next invention. <laughs> My next invention is is the bigger invention and is the reason why I ended up here at this podcast and in IT law and everything. Uh, so essentially what it is, it's, it's a search engine for Austrian laws. You, uh, instead of using this official database, which is actually as old as I am. Crazy. So just to, to like give you some context here. Um and it's like hugely complicated to to operate this. I often joke around that you actually need to study law just to know how to operate <laughs> the, the platform and this, this database. And it's like really annoying. And it I really had, I really struggled with it. Like when I was studying law, because I, I re- clearly remember when I initially had the idea, I was studying with a friend for a civil law exam. And we knew that there was a case somewhere and we had like some details, mm. but we just couldn't find it in the stupid database. Mm. Like sat there for 20 minutes and we were like, this... There has to be a better way. Every law student has been through this. Right. Story of our lives. Uh, and so I uh, I created a, a website that is called Ries Plus, which is named after Ries, which is the official database. It's plus because there's additional features for it. Yeah. Uh, and it has a search feature where you can can look for keywords, for example, or just for, you know, the, the section number. Mm-hmm. Um, and it links you to the official database and shows you the, the full text. So cool. Like, just... Amazing. And he's not going to, you know, he, when we were preparing for the podcast, Paul was like, I don't want to make a big deal, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we're making a big deal, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you have to make a big deal. Yeah. We're hyping you up because you're doing cool stuff. And I think what's really great is that you've gone to different conferences to mm-hmm. talk about this and to present this. And it's just such a great idea because it just makes it easier. And it's such a good way to give effect to this right of access to information to make it easier for everyday people to be able to understand the law, right. know where it is, know how to find it, and then be able to consume it. Right. But there's still, you know, a certain challenge to this because, um, you know, the search relies on you entering the right keywords. Exactly. Uh, and this is where the, the hard part comes in where, you know, maybe a lay person doesn't know the right keywords. Yeah. And, and sometimes legal language is very specific mm. and different words mean different things, even though, you know, in, in normal use. Uh, they mean the same thing. Mm. So like that's really hard uh, also on a technical level really to like uh, account for that and to to like find synonyms for example yeah. uh, and stuff like this. So I mean 
So after you overcome the access barrier, then you have the jargon, the language barrier or the understanding barrier, which is still something that we need to look into how we could resolve that. Right. And that goes even deeper because this goes into uh, the language of the law itself. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, having a difficult 90s database to mm. operate, mm. Uh, but it's rather you have these 200-year-old texts that say something that it's really hard to interpret what they are actually saying. Yes. And oftentimes you have texts that are written in such a convoluted way that it's so difficult even for lawyers to understand what does the law mean. So there's, you know, super long sentences mm. or really old style writing or language. And then oftentimes we have to wait for a court to interpret it for us to know, okay, this is actually what that law means. And that's kind of another step that we have to overcome. So is this, because I read an article that kind of suggested that lawmakers should write laws should do like executive summaries, mm -hmm. basically. So do what they do, but then simplify the law into kind of like a flow chart that people can understand mm -hmm. or like a step-by-step -step thing that people can understand, maybe visualize the law or something like mm -hmm. this and then publish that instead of the long text that they often publish. Right. I mean, there's always a trade-off yeah. to, to some extent between accuracy of the legal information. So if you're not making this like the authentic text, but like publishing in additional to, in addition to the actual text, yeah. publish a kind of explanation, mm. which is kind of the function that newspapers now do, at least yeah. for important laws. Yeah. Um, but you always have the problem then, like if someone, like if the this, this translation, this quote unquote translation is wrong or like inaccurate in some points, like what do you follow? Yeah. And, and how much can you, again, quote, dumb it down, quote yes. unquote, um, in, in order to still make it useful. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people get into trouble now because a lot mm -hmm. of people access their law, like you said, on the news or from newspapers or from what people are saying on social media. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that interpretation dumped down can be incorrect. Mm -hmm. So we find ourselves like trying to figure out where do we strike the balance between making sure that the law is accurate and detailed enough for people to really get what's going on, but not so long and convoluted that it's difficult for the everyday person to understand. Right, because like often there's like so much background knowledge that you would have to have like a 20 minute discussion before coming to the actual issue. Yes. Uh, that you just need like that is more or less self-evident for, for lawyers like us. Exactly. And that's why we were able to have a podcast like this, because you can always find something to talk about when it comes to law. <laughs> exactly. I think that's a good outro, actually. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, I think it would be interesting to hear what people think about how, or maybe there's some sort of techno technological solution out there, because we couldn't find anything mm. that makes law easier to access, that makes law easier to understand, and that makes brings it out to the wider public so that it's not such a a dark and dingy little corner of the world that we yeah. live in and everybody's able to really understand what the law is, how it applies to them and what it means for their lives. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. We will be back in two weeks. Uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.